Well, today we're going to continue our journey in the book of Acts, but I'm going to skip to Acts chapter 27 because this is Thanksgiving weekend. And the Bible tells us that as believers, we are to be grateful people. If you are a child of God, there is no one who should be more grateful than you. The scripture says to us in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, 18, in everything give thanks. Now, what it is saying there is that regardless as to our circumstances, regardless as to our situation, we are to be thankful. There is something for which we can be thankful regardless as to our circumstances. I heard the story about a little boy. He had gone to school while he was there on this particular day. Someone stole his bicycle. He fell down at recess and chipped a tooth. Later on, he fell again, skinned his knee and so forth. And so finally the teacher decided, well, I better call his mother and have her to come and check on him and get him and take him home. Well, when she got there, there was dried blood on his knee. He was standing there with his pants torn, had a big grin on his face and his, chip was, uh, his tooth was chipped. And he was holding up a quarter. And she looked at him and he says, Mom, look what I found. Boy, is this my lucky day. Well, it doesn't make any difference what our circumstances might be. As believers, we have reason to be thankful. Now, you might say, well, you know, maybe so, but not so much for me. I mean, I'm facing some real difficult times. I don't have any money. I've lost my job. The bills are piling up. I couldn't get on the health care website. There's all kinds of problems that I'm, that I'm having to deal with. But there is a story in the Bible about Jesus when a multitude had assembled. He took five loaves of bread and two fish, which was not adequate to meet the needs of the people. But he bowed his head and gave thanks, even though what he had was not adequate. You might say, well, you know, as Christians today, we don't have much to be thankful for because there is such hostility directed towards us in our day. And, and that's true. I totally agree with that. In fact, I'm astounded by it. I, I, I don't even know what to say sometimes. It seems like every day I get up and I read something about government hostility towards those who simply believe the Word of God and try to live according to the Word of God. And yet there is all of this hostility that is being directed towards the people of God today in our country that was founded on the Word of God. And so, so I don't have much to be thankful for whenever I see all of that. And yet the Bible says that Daniel lived under a very hostile government, but he was thankful. The Bible says in Daniel chapter 6, verse number 10, Now when Daniel knew that the document was signed, and the document of reference here instructed them not to pray anymore. When the document was signed... He entered his house and he continued kneeling on his knees three times a day praying and giving thanks before his God. He, he, he faced a very hostile government and yet the Bible says that he continued to give thanks. You may say, well, today we're losing our freedoms and we are. I'm astounded at how quickly we are losing the freedoms that we have enjoyed. But the Apostle Paul spent most of his ministry in prison where he regularly paused to give thanks. How can we grow in gratitude? 
I want you to take your Bibles, turn with me to Acts chapter 27. We'll begin looking in verse number, reading in verse number 27. And here I want you to see the steps that lead us to gratitude. Acts 27 verse 27. In this passage of scripture, they were taking Paul to Rome to prison. He had warned them that this was not a good time to sail, that the waters were going to be troubled. And so he warned them against it, but they did so anyway. But when the 14th night had come, as we were being driven about in the Adriatic Sea, about midnight, the sailors began to surmise that they were approaching some land. And they took soundings and found it to be 20 fathoms. And a little farther on, they took another sounding and found it to be 15 fathoms. And fearing that we might run aground somewhere on the rocks, they cast four anchors from the stern and wished for daybreak. And as the sailors were trying to escape from the ship and had let down the ship's boat into the sea on the pretense of intending to lay out anchors from the bow, Paul said to the centurion and to the soldiers, unless these men remain in the ship, you yourselves cannot be saved. Then the soldiers cut away the ropes of the ship's boat and let it fall away. And until the day was about to dawn, Paul was encouraging all to take some food, saying, Today is the 14th day that you have been constantly watching and going without eating, having taken nothing. Therefore, I encourage you to take some food, for this is for your preservation. For not a hair from the head of any of you shall perish. And having said this, he took bread and gave thanks to God in the presence of all, and he broke it. And began to eat. All right. In this little story, I think you can see some steps that lead us to gratitude. And it's going to take us a while to get there, but I want you to see these steps that we have to go through to become grateful. First of all, we remain in the ship. Now look at verse number 31. Paul said to the centurion and to the soldiers, unless these men remain in the ship, you yourselves cannot be saved. Now, folks, the truth is sometimes we don't want to remain in our ship. Sometimes we want to get out of the boat. Sometimes we want to quit. Sometimes we want to throw in the towel. Sometimes we've said, this is enough of what I'm going through, and I don't want to stay in the ship. I had heard about a pastor who had resigned his church. He happened to come across a friend his friend said, I understand that you resigned from your church. He said, I, I did. The friend said, well, what happened? And he said, well, it was health issues. He said, oh, I'm sorry. He said, what's the problem? He said, we were sick of each other. <laughs> well, there are times when we just don't want to stay in the ship. Our circumstances are such that we just don't want to stay with it. Now, how can we remain in the ship? How can we stay by the stuff? Well, first of all, you have to have a vision from God. Now, there is the story with which you are familiar concerning Abraham, and the Lord gave him a vision concerning the promised land. In Genesis 12, 1, now the Lord said to Abram, Go forth from your country and from your relatives and from your father's house, to the land which I will show you. So when the Lord is giving him this vision, he said, you're going to have to leave your family, going to have to leave your friends, going to have to leave all those things with which you are familiar. That was the vision that he gave him. 
Now there were issues along the way. There were problems along the way. There were challenges along the way. But the thing is, Abraham never lost sight of his vision. The Bible says, so Abram went forth as the Lord had spoken to him. He was able to stay in the ship because he had this vision from God. This is what God was leading him to do. Moses received a vision at the burning bush. In Exodus chapter 3 verse 10, come now and I will send you to Pharaoh so that you may bring my people, the sons of Israel, out of Egypt. Now then Moses was given this vision. It was a difficult vision, but he nevertheless remained committed to the vision. Folks, let me say to you that you need a vision from God. For your life, you need a vision from God. What does God want you to do? What is the ship of your vision? Because you need a vision from God. Now, some of you have a vision of a godly family. And some of you parents have this vision that your children are going to grow up and they are going to be committed to the Lord. They're going to love the Lord. They're going to serve the Lord. That is the vision that you have. Don't ever give up on that vision. Susanna Wesley, the mother of John and Charles Wesley, said, I refuse to go to heaven without my children. See, that should be our vision. As parents, we should have this vision that my children, my family is going to be in heaven with the Lord. Don't ever give up on that. Girls, listen. Some of you have a vision of marrying a godly man. Don't let some sorry, good-for-nothing boy lead you away from that vision. I mean, stay committed to it. You deserve that. You deserve a godly man. So don't give up on the vision that God has given to you. And guys, the Lord has given some of you a, a vision that you're going to marry a godly girl. Don't ever give up on that. You need a vision that comes from God. And maybe your vision is concerning your family. Don't give up on the vision that God gives to you. You know, I'm, I'm so thankful that the Lord has kept me in the ship through the years. There were times I didn't want to be in. You know, I would like to jump overboard but I'm so glad that the Lord kept me in the ship. You see, you need a vision from God and then you need a steadfast faith to the vision because there are going to be doubts along the way. You have a vision that comes from God, a godly vision for your life, but there's still going to be doubts. Don't you think that Noah had, vision, had, had a vision concerning the ark, but there were doubts that came with that vision? I can imagine Noah when he was going through that building, that ark, telling the people that, that God's judgment was coming, that there was going to be a flood. Noah, what are you doing out here on dry land building this big boat? Oh, there's a flood coming. Well, there was probably some curiosity about it for the first few years. But he was there for 120 years. Don't you imagine that as he was building that ark, that after a while he began to say, I wonder if I got that right. I wonder if that's what God really told me to do. Maybe there's a Hebrew word and I, mis, I misinterpreted it or something. And then when the people after 50 years, 60 years, 70 years, what's that old man doing out there? He's building an ark. You know, he's lost his mind. He's been in the sun too long. Don't you think that there were times when he began to doubt that vision? I think there was. 
I think there were times when he began to doubt. How about Moses? He struggled. He's taking the people to, to the promised land. And as he is taking the people, they're complaining all the way. They constantly grumble. They didn't like the provision. They didn't like anything that he did. Don't you know that there were doubts in his mind? Because one time he prayed to God and said, God, if this is my future, just kill me now. I'm not, I, I can't take this anymore. But look at verse number 31. Here's another instance. Paul said to the centurion, to the soldiers, unless these men remain in the ship, you yourselves cannot be saved. Then the soldiers cut away the ropes of the ship's boat and let it fall away. Now, what they were doing was to cut the ropes to the lifeboat. Now, as they were cutting the ropes to the lifeboat, don't you think that they must have thought, I'm not sure this is a good idea. We're give, I mean, the ship is about to sink. We have the lifeboats, and you're telling us that we are to cut it and let it go. I'm not sure. I think they had some doubts. But here's the thing. When our faith is steadfast, it overcomes our doubts. If God gives you a vision and you have that steadfast faith, yes, you're going to have doubts. But that faith will overcome the doubts. I look at Moses, that's exactly what happened to Moses. The Bible says in Hebrews eleven twenty seven, by faith he left Egypt, not fearing the wrath of the king, for he endured as seeing him who is unseen. Barnes commented, he persevered amidst all the trials and difficulties connected with his leading forth the people from bondage. You see, you need a vision from God and then a steadfast faith in that vision, and then a commitment to the vision that God has given to you. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego had incredible commitment, I think. They were three Jewish boys, and you know the story about Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. The, 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 Nebuchadnezzar, the king, erected an idol, and he told everybody to bow down to the idol. Everybody did except for these three boys. They didn't bow down to the idol. The king was told that they had not bowed down. He brought them before him and said, uh, look, guys, we're going to give you another opportunity at this. And he said, uh, if you will bow down, we'll forget it and everything's going to be all right. So just bow down like I told you to do. And the Bible says, our God whom we serve is able to deliver us from the furnace of blazing fire. And man, that's commitment. You can throw us in the furnace if you want, but our God whom we serve is able. He is faithful. They were faithful to the vision even unto death. The apostle Paul was faithful to the vision even unto death. When he was in prison facing the executioner, he said, the time of my departure is at hand. I fought a good fight, kept the faith, finished my course. Henceforth there is laid up for me a crown which the, of righteousness which the Lord, the righteous judge, will give me at that day. He was committed even unto death. Folks, we need that kind of commitment today. Yes, times are tough. Yes, it's hard to stay in the ship. And we need that vision that comes from God. And we need that steadfast faith. And we need to be committed just as Paul was. Why? Because we understand the ship is God's plan for our preservation. Look at verse number 33. And until the day was about to dawn, Paul was encouraging them all to take some food, saying, Today's the 14th day that you have been constantly watching and going without eating, having taken nothing. Therefore, I encourage you to take some food, for this is for your preservation, 
for not a hair from the head of any of you shall perish. Now, folks, just because you have a vision from God, just because you have a plan from God does not mean that you're not going to face storms in life and difficulties in life. You will. I get very concerned when I hear so many preachers today who are saying, if you become a Christian, you follow after Jesus, your life is going to be rosy. Well, not always. Not always. You're going to face some challenges in life. Jesus said he causes his son to rise on the evil and the good and sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. In other words, we all, righteous and unrighteous, are blessed by God. We also suffer the consequences of a sinful world. Righteous or unrighteous. You can be following the Lord, close to the Lord, face difficulties in life. I look at the disciples and when Jesus told them to get in the boat with him and he got in the boat and the disciples got in the boat and they're out in the middle of the Sea of Galilee and a storm comes up. Surely those disciples were thinking, what's this all about? I thought he told us to get in the boat with him. We're out here now and now then this storm is coming. Didn't he know what was going to happen? They were in the boat with Jesus when the storm came. I look at the Apostle Paul. He was committed to Christ, preached the word and yet he spent most of his ministry in prison. You're going to experience storms in life, but the threat of those storms should not keep you from preparing for God's vision in the future. Now, let me give you some, some things for you to think about here. If you focus solely on yesterday, it will paralyze you today. If you focus too much on the past, it will paralyze you today. For instance, if you focus on yesterday's successes, you'll become complacent and apathetic. I mean, why, why should you stretch forward when you're already a success? So if you focus too much on yesterday's successes, you'll become paralyzed today. If you focus too much on yesterday's uh, failures, then you will be overwhelmed with fear today. And as a result, you're still paralyzed. So yesterday paralyzes you. If you focus too much on yesterday, it paralyzes you. If you focus too much on today, it limits you. If you can only see what is here today, then you're going to be limited by what is here today. Businesses know that. A business knows that if I'm only concerned about what is happening today, the market today, then I'm not going to be successful tomorrow. I mean, if McDonald's still only served burgers and fries, they wouldn't have the market that they do in our health-conscious world, would they? See, they've expanded. They have changed as time goes by. If we focus only on today, then we become limited. That is also true within the church, and that's uh, something that we always have to be aware of. If we focus too much on today, then we become stagnant for tomorrow. Church called a new pastor. The church was a, uh, it was a very set church, traditional church. They'd done everything the same way. You know, I hadn't changed anything in 30 years. Hadn't changed the music, sang the same songs. Hadn't changed the carpet in 30 years. I mean, everything was just the same. Called a new pastor. 
And uh, he decided, said, you know, we need to make some changes. And so he started moving in that direction. The people began to resist because he was trying to move them forward. And uh, so one Sunday he got up and he was preaching and he said, you know, you may be, you may come kicking and screaming. He said, but if necessary, I'm going to drag you into the 20th century. Well, after the service, one of the deacons went up to him and said, Pastor, he said, you know, you said that. He said, I think you meant to say that the 21st century, we're in the 21st century. He said, I know that, but we're going to take it one century at a time. <laughs> you see, when we focus too much on the past, we are paralyzed. When we focus too much on today, we are limited. But it is the future that stretches us. It is the future that stretches us. Abraham, he looked past yesterday to the promised land and was stretched into the future. Noah, as he worked on that ark, he's out there building that ark. He is being stretched into the future. Paul, look at verse number 23. For this very night, an angel of God to whom I belong and whom I serve stood before me saying, do not be afraid, Paul. You must stand before Caesar. And behold, God has granted you all those who are sailing with you. But do you see that he was looking to the, I mean, the, the thing was falling apart on him. The ship was about to sink. He said, no, I, I got to go to Caesar. I got to stand before, he is looking to the future. We need to understand that as the church, folks. We always have to, we always have to push ourselves. You always have to push yourself into the future. You always have to do that. Because if it is only our belief in tomorrow, our belief in claiming tomorrow that we are stretched. A church is like an airplane. It's going forward or it's going down, but it isn't staying where it is. It always has to be moving forward. So, we, we embrace the vision that God has for us because we understand it is his plan for our preservation. And then we begin to trust his promises. And God made an incredible promise to Paul in verse number 34b. There he says, for not a hair from the head of any of you shall perish. Don't you know that was a powerful promise in the midst of that storm? Don't worry about it, Paul. Not a hair from your head is going to perish. But then I began to think about the promises God has made to us. The promises that he has made to you. Well, what's he promised? Well, he's promised his presence. In Matthew 28, 20, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. That's the Lord's promise. Do you know that the Lord has promised he's never going to leave you? Other people will. People will leave you, but not God. He says, I will never leave you. That's a promise that he made to you. He's with you right now. And he'll be with you tomorrow. If you know him, he will never leave you. He has promised his presence. He has promised his power. Acts 1, Acts 1.8, you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. The power that you need for life, he has promised to you. Provision, you have needs. Philippians 4.19, and my God shall supply all your needs according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. That's a promise that God has made, that he is going to meet your needs. He has promised his peace. In 2 Thessalonians 3.16, now may the Lord of, of peace himself continually grant you peace in every circumstance. Those are the promises that he's made. Now when we begin to rest in the promises of God, 
then he brings to our spirit a sense of calmness. I was reading the story, I've read it many times, and as I was reading it seemed like to me that everybody there is running around like a chicken with his head cut off. I mean, there's just panic in the ship, except for Paul. And Paul has this spirit of calmness because of his faith in the Lord. That's what the Lord does to us. Whenever we're trusting in his promises, we're resting in his promises, then we have a spirit of calmness. There's courage. Look at verse number 25. Therefore, keep up your courage, men, for I believe God that it will turn out exactly as I have told you. Paul had courage and he encouraged the sailors to be courageous as well. If we trust him, he will give us courage. Let me ask you a question. We, we face some really uncertain times, different times in our country. Do you have courage? In the decisions that you make, in the circumstances that you face, do you have courage? I'm challenged by this oftentimes. I had a friend when I was in Oklahoma City. His name was Charlie Graves. Charlie was a great preacher and a very prominent pastor in Oklahoma City. But he was one of the most transparent people I've ever known. Pastors normally are not very transparent. You know, we pretend to be, but we're really not. Because we know if you learn something about us, we're going to get in trouble. So we're not very transparent. But Charlie was. He was just very transparent. He made this statement one day, and I wrote it down. He said, I have lived my life making decisions based on what would cause the least conflict, not on what would provide the greatest good. I'm oftentimes challenged by that. Am I making decisions based on what will cause the least conflict rather than what will produce the greatest good. When we believe the promises of God, we trust the promises of God, that gives us courage to do things that might not be popular. He gives confidence in verse number 22 and cheerfulness in verse number 36. He says, and all of them were encouraged and they themselves also took food. So, how do we get to Thanksgiving? Well, we remain in the ship. If God has given you a vision, remain with it. Stick with it, regardless of the storm. Understanding that God is, that is God's plan for your preservation. Trust in his promises, and now you're ready to give thanks. Verse number 35. And having said this, he took bread and gave thanks to God in the presence of all, and he broke it and began to eat. There are two things that happen here. In the middle of the storm, material possessions diminish in importance. Right? In the midst of a storm, material possessions diminish in importance. Look at verse number 38. And when they had eaten enough, they began to lighten the ship by throwing out the wheat into the sea. That cargo was not nearly as important as it had been earlier. It diminished in importance. Folks, wealth is unimportant when life is at stake. And today is unimportant when eternity is at stake. As I look at this story, the thing that it reminds me of is that material possessions diminish in importance during storm. And spiritual provision intensifies in importance. And you learn what to be thankful for. I'm thankful for the Savior. 
In 2 Corinthians 9.15, thanks be to God for his indescribable gift. And isn't Jesus indescribable? As M. Locker said, I wish I could describe him. He's indescribable. For his ind- he is indescribable. I'm thankful for Jesus. I'm thankful for strength. 1 Timothy 1.12, I thank Christ Jesus our Lord who has strengthened me. Folks, he gives us the strength to live for him. He gives us strength to die. Thankful for his strength. I'm thankful for the saints. Philippians 1.3, I thank my God in all my remembrance of you. I thank God for you. I love you. Thank God for you. Boy, I, I pastor the greatest church in the world. Now, that's just my biased opinion. But I'm thankful for the saints. I'm thankful for salvation, Romans 6, 17 and 18. Thanks be to God that though you were slaves to sin, you became obedient from the heart to that form of teaching to which you were committed. And having been freed from sin, you became slaves of righteousness. I'm thankful for salvation. Now here's the conclusion, verse 44b. And thus it happened that they were all brought safely to land. How do we grow in gratitude? Remain in a ship. Get a vision from God. Don't ever lose it. Remain in a ship. Understanding that it's God's plan for your preservation. Trust his promises. And then you'll be grateful. In all things, there's reason to be grateful. Be grateful. Our Father, we thank you for your supply. We thank you for your provision, for your protection, for your goodness. Lord, for the way that you've enriched our lives. Father, may we serve you out of a heart of thanksgiving. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Well, in just a moment, we'll extend a hymn of invitation. The choir will sing. If you've never trusted Christ, I pray that you'll come today and commit your life to him. If you're looking for a church home, our doors are open to you. We'd love to have you. Stand with me, please, as we stand. They sing, you come, I'll greet you as you do.